Behind the Knife, the surgery podcast. Relevant and engaging content designed to help you dominate the day. Hi, Behind the Knife. Uh, Happy 2022. Hoping for a better year this year. Um, I'm Caitlin Hester. I'm one of the second year CGSO fellows at MD Anderson. And I am joined by Gilbert Marumwa. You want to introduce yourself, Gilbert? Yeah, I'm one of the PGY3 residents at UT Southwestern. I'm currently in my first year in the lab. And uh, we're very excited uh, to come to you today to discuss uh, two key trials for gastric cancer. One for uh, the operative uh, management of uh, localized gastric cancer. And then one that is actually for non-resectable locally advanced gastric cancer or metastatic gastric cancer, but that we feel have uh, implications to eventually translate over into the the surgical cohort of patients. Um, So the first study we're going to be talking about is the FLOT4 study. And Gilbert, do you want to just tell us a little bit of background on why the FLOT4 study came to be? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, before FLOT came about, uh, there was the MAGIC trial, which kind of set up the standard of care for uh, patients with gastric cancer that was locally advanced but resectable. And despite advances in therapy and treatment, survival was still uh, unacceptably low for these patients. And so there are ongoing trials that sort of determine uh, what regimen may better improve survival in these patients. And based on some data in the metastatic, se- in the metastatic section, where patients had increased pathological complete response based on this FLOT regimen, it was moved to a phase two and three trial in the resectable cohort of patients who add up to locally advanced disease. Yeah. And so when I started residency, and when, even when I was a, a third year resident at UT Southwestern, where you're sitting right now, Gilbert, um, uh, we didn't talk about FLOT. That came later on in my residency, and the standard of care at that point was MAGIC for gastric cancer and the CROSS trial uh, for GE junction cancer. And what the MAGIC trial looked at is patients who had localized gastric cancer, whether perioperative chemotherapy, a sandwich approach of ECF, um, with three cycles preoperatively, three cycles postoperatively, versus surgery alone if there were differences in outcomes for those patients. And indeed, MAGIC found that patients who, who received this sandwich approach of perioperative chemotherapy had a five-year survival uh, rate of 36%. Uh, versus those who had upfront surgery with 23%. And then what CROSS showed was more of the esophageal aspect of things, the the GE junction uh, tumors, um, and established the basis for using uh, platinum-based chemotherapy with radiation, so carboplatinum paclitaxel with radiation um, to improve uh, survival. And so from that, uh, we then expanded... um, the way we think about gastric cancer and perioperative chemotherapy and the potential benefits uh, for getting uh, micrometastatic disease control and seemingly localized uh, gastric cancers. And we have now continued this on uh, to, to consider different regimens, including the FLOT. 
And so tell us a little bit about what the phase two portion of this study was, Gilbert, and, and what the phase three portion of the study is currently that, that we're presenting today. So the phase two portion of the study uh, covered the first 300 patients of the population, and it was published back in 2017. And basically, that showed that FLOT was superior to ECF or ECX in terms of complete pathological response, which uh, coincided with the data that kind of launched the reason for this. So they saw a rate of 15% versus 6% in the phase two portion of the trial, and then carried it on to phase three, enrolling the rest of the trial and looking at a primary endpoint of overall survival. Okay. And in this study, um, how many patients were randomized to each arm, the ECF versus ECX, um, and then the FLOT? So the trial was 716 total patients that had histologically confirmed clinical T2 disease or higher or node positive disease and resectable tumors without distant metastasis. Um, 360 patients were randomized to receive either ECF or ECX, which was the magic regimen. And then 356 total patients were randomized to receive FLOT, which was the experimental arm of the trial. Okay. And regarding the the demographics of the patients, um, the, the patients were well-matched. Um, gastric cancer is um, interesting because there are different types of gastric cancer. Um, and the intestinal type versus diffuse type gastric cancer. And so what were the majority of these patients? What type of uh, histology were they, uh, Gilbert? And did they also have signet ring features uh, included in the studies? So they did include um, all patients. The vast majority were intestinal type with a smaller cohort of patients that had diffuse disease. And then they report in the trial um, the percentage of patients that had signet cell um, on final pathology, but it was a minor portion of the patients. Okay, very good. And then I know at UT Southwestern and here at MD Anderson, uh, standard of care for our patients uh, for is to include staging laparoscopy as a portion of the staging workup for patients with gastric cancer. Was that uh, performed in all of the patients in this study, Gilbert? Uh, all patients did not receive it. The final numbers are around 40% for both uh, the FLOT side and the MAGIC side of the trial, but about 41% of patients received staging laparoscopy. Okay. So let's just talk about the primary endpoint of the phase three portion of this study, uh, which is median overall survival. It is important to note uh, that when they prepare study initial point was disease-free survival, um, but the request from the review committee was that they change that to overall survival. So what is reported as the primary endpoint uh, for the trial is overall survival. So what did this study show in terms of overall survival between the ECF and the FLOG groups? So this study actually met both of the endpoints, progression-free survival and overall survival. And as far as overall survival was concerned, um, it showed FLOT significantly improved overall survival over this ECF arm. And so the median survival was 50 months in the FLOT group versus 35 months in the ECF group. Um, And the rate of adverse events was about similar in both groups with very low mortality as well. Okay. And... I think it's also really important to, to take away from this study the primary endpoint of that phase two portion of the study, which looked at uh, pathologic response. 
um, and just remind us again what the the pathologic response uh, was in each arm, Gilbert. Before the trial, they had seen a 16% um, pathologic complete response in response to FLOT. Then the phase two trial corroborated that data with again showing a 17% pathologic response versus 6% in the ECF arm. That's that's correct. So so those are the the two values that I have: 15% of pathologic complete response, meaning when these uh, when the pathologic specimen is reviewed, there are no viable tumor cells uh, within the specimen. 15% of patients treated with this FLOT regimen had a pathologic complete response versus 6% of patients who received ECF or ECX, which is capecitabine-based EC regimen. Um, The other things that are really important when we talk about uh, a multidisciplinary approach to any uh, cancer is, are the patients thriving while they're on preoperative chemotherapy, because the goal and of preoperative chemotherapy is to really control that micrometastatic disease that may be present um, and then may cause early disease recurrence after an operation. It is not to make the patient deconditioned so they cannot get to an operation. And so it's really important to make sure that patients are tolerating the regimens and that they're completing the proposed regimen. And that that's an important aspect when you're talking about any preoperative chemotherapy regimen for patients. And so for patients who received the ECF regimen, 91% of patients uh, completed their proposed chemotherapy cycles, and for FLOT was 90%. So there was no difference between those two regimens. And then regarding patients who proceeded to surgery, 95% of patients who started ECF proceeded to surgery, and 97% of patients in the FLOT arm proceeded to surgery. So the majority, the overwhelming majority of these patients received the proposed chemotherapy, tolerated it well, and were actually fit enough to to undergo the the operation that was proposed. When we also look at uh, adverse uh, events, there were more grade three and four nausea and vomiting in the ECF court compared to more neutropenia, neuropathy, and diarrhea in the FLOT cohort. So one regimen had a little bit more nausea. The other one had more neutropenia and and needed more GCSF. So those are other important takeaways. And then um, just to go back to the phase three aspect of uh, the study and looking at that rate of pathologic complete response, Um, For the ECF arm, it was actually 41%. For the FLOT arm, it was 49% for major pathologic response. And then the rate of R0 or margin negative resection was um, uh, 85% in the FLOT group, but they were both well-matched. And so those are all important things. And I I think studies are really overwhelming when you like try to to just remember But I think it's more important to remember takeaways. Um, It's important to know that both regimens are equally well tolerated. FLOT has more pathologic complete response and an equal number of patients in both arms are proceeding to surgery. 
but patients who received the flat arm had improved median overall survival. And so I think those are the takeaway. And so what does that mean for us in practice, Gilbert? What are we doing at UT Southwestern um, to treat these patients with gastric cancer? What is the standard of care for patients with resectable gastric cancer right now? So with the improvement in overall survival, this, this study really set flawed as the new standard of care and how we treat these patients. And I think you hit it on the head early on when we talked about this, this issue of micrometastatic disease. And so the perioperative approach really makes um, the best sense for patients because not only do you address that micrometastatic disease, but as we showed in these trials, patients do get on to have their curative intent resection surgery and then complete more chemotherapy afterwards to make sure that we continue to uh, manage any disseminated disease while, while giving them the best shot at a cure. Yeah, exactly. So I think this study is uh, pretty widely used as the standard of care uh, perioperative regimen for patients with gastric cancer. Um, there are still patients uh, with smaller tumors that uh, the standard of care is still upfront surgery, but for these locally advanced ones, so T2 tumors or nodal positive tumors, standard of care is and has been for a while preoperative chemotherapy, but now the regimen of choice is flawed. And so I think that's the takeaway from this very important landmark paper. All right, we're going to switch gears a little bit, and we're going to talk about uh, the Keynote 62 trial. And Gilbert, do you want to give a little bit of overview of what this trial is? Absolutely. So the Keynote 62 trial was looking at um, patients who had unresectable tumors um, and whether or not they were responsive to pembrolizumab as monotherapy or. And so initially, immunotherapy is being studied and Keynote is different trials seeing in the first, second, and third line whether or not pembrolizumab has a survival benefit for these patients. Okay. And uh, who was eligible for enrollment in, in this trial? Yeah. So the Keynote 62 trial specifically looked at patients that were locally advanced and unresectable tumors or metastatic gastric or G-junction tumors. Um, and they made a note to look at patients that had a CPS score or a combined positivity score of one or greater. Um, this trial was multi-center in 29 countries and accrued over a period of two years from 2015 to 2017. And the patients who are eligible are those who had a histologic confirmation of a gastric or a GE junction adenocarcinoma. And, and the patients had to be considered unresectable locally advanced or metastatic. They also did, could not receive any prior uh, therapy uh, within six months of randomization, and they had to be HER2 negative tumors or ERBB2, which is uh, the equivalent negative tumors, so they couldn't have a positive HER2 status. Um, and these patients did have to have a CPS score uh, of at, at least one or greater, and then the trial uh, actually had a gradient and, and assessed outcomes based on CPS scores of greater than or equal to one and those with a higher, grade, uh, a higher CPS score of greater than or equal to 10. And Gilbert, do you want to tell us exactly what the CPS score is? Yeah, so CPS stands for Combined Positivity Score. 
And essentially the way this is calculated, you take the number of PD ligand one positive cells on a histological sample, and you divide it by the total number of PDL1 positive cells and PDL1 negative tumor cells, and then you multiply by 100. So this gives you an idea of what proportion of the histologic sample uh, expresses PDL1 and therefore is potentially prognostic for a response to uh, checkpoint inhibition. Okay. And so patients were randomized into three different arms for this study. The first arm is pembrolizumab alone. The second arm is pembrolizumab plus chemotherapy, which could be a cisplatinum, cisplatin with, uh, with 5-FU or uh, single agent Zolota. And then the third arm was a placebo plus chemo, which are the same two regimens that I just outlined. And the primary endpoint uh, for this study was overall survival. And that was stratified by CPS score greater than or equal to one and greater than or equal to 10. And then also progression-free survival by those same two um, stratification cohorts. And so, so what did this study show, Gilbert? So this study showed that for um, patients with untreated advanced gastric or G-junction cancer, pembrolizumab was non-inferior to chemotherapy and had less um, adverse events through treatment. And so the overall survival for patients with CPS score greater than one was 12.5 versus 11.1 months. And then for a CPS score of 10 or greater, it was 12.3 months versus 10.8 months. Okay. And in patients, uh, who did the, who, which patients experienced the most benefit from the use of pembrolizumab, whether alone or with chemotherapy, which of the cohorts uh, experienced the, the most benefit from pembrolizumab? So it was actually the group of patients where the CPS score was 10 or greater. Yeah. And there was even a subset analysis, which I think is really important, um, that looked at patients that had microsatellite instability with CPS scores greater than or equal to one, where actually the median overall survival for that cohort of patients with MSI high tumors and CPS scores greater than or equal to one, the median overall survival was not reached versus eight months uh, for patients with uh, microsatellite stable tumors. And I think this is is really important because I think this is the, the future of surgical oncology and management of any patients with cancer, because it shows that we have a potential ability to understand the microenvironment of the tumor and be able to treat that tumor appropriately. So here at MD Anderson, we often will treat patients with uh, microsatellite instability, high patients with um, adenocarcinoma of the GI tract, whether that's duodenal, gastric, or um, rectal colon with pembrolizumab. And we're seeing great results. And I think this study 
confirms that, that, you know, median overall survival is not reached. And so this is really where we are heading um, in terms of cancer care. And it also shows that that we can use the PDL1 CPS score to help stratify how well a patient will benefit from the use of pembrolizumab. Um, so the higher the CPS score, the, the better the median overall survival is. And I, I truly think that even if the study uh, did not include surgical patients, I think this is where we are headed. And I think this is, you know, what's so exciting about new trial development and, and finding potential cures for our patients, really understanding that microenvironment of the tumor. Yeah, I think you hit it on the head, Caitlin. And it's it's actually interesting because since the keynote trial, there was actually a Checkmate 649 study that used a different checkpoint inhibitor, but this time they used nivolumab. And this uh, resulted in FDA approval for the first time where nivolumab was found to be superior overall survival as well as progression-free survival. And they followed a very similar schematic where they used the CPS score to predict which patients may benefit. Um, but to your point, based on a small subgroup of patients that met the criteria of that trial, they were able to get FDA approval for first-line treatment of patients with unresectable gastric tumors um, with checkpoint inhibitors. Yeah, it's a really exciting time um, in surgical oncology. And, you know, I think I'll end with this. Um, don't be overwhelmed by the studies. Uh, read the studies and, and don't memorize numbers. Take away what the study is trying to tell you in the discussion and be thoughtful about how you apply these studies. Each cancer is different and there's not a one size fits all model to, to treating any of these cancers. Um, there are some patients with early gastric cancer that may benefit from upfront surgery. For patients with localized tumors that are T2 or node positive, standard of care is to give preoperative chemotherapy. And based on the studies and the evidence that we have right now, FLOT does seem superior to historic uh, magic trial regimen. And then get excited about where we're heading and understanding the microenvironment of the tumor and, and realize that there are options for patients um, who do express uh, PDL1 or microsatellite uh, instability high tumors, that there are other options that we're seeing really good results in trials that may not necessarily target the surgical patient. But that gives us hope that there are going to continue to be trials that really can benefit even our surgery patients. We all are surgeons and we love to operate um, and, and surgery is great and can help cure patients. But chemotherapy is a, is a very important aspect of that care. And we need to be very mindful about when to use it and which regimens to use to really help our patients. And so I'll think, I think I'll end there. Um, you have any uh, closing remarks, Gilbert? No, this is great. I think it's always good diving into the literature and, and really thinking about how we can apply these papers to the patients we see every day in the clinics. Yeah. All right, everyone, you take care. All right, dominate the day. Be sure to check out our website at www.behindthenife.org for more great content. You can also follow us on Twitter at Behind the Knife and Instagram at Behind the Knife Podcast. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to leave us a review. 
Content produced by Behind the Knife is intended for health professionals and is for educational purposes only. We do not diagnose, treat, or offer patient-specific advice. Thank you for listening. Until next time, dominate the day.